I think I have just managed to get rid of a bit of the, the uh, head glow on the stage, though it's becoming a fast disappearing reality. Uh, I, I keep going to the barber every now and then, and they, I say, can you cut my hair? And they say, where is it? And that's uh, just the way life is. We are in a new series. It's called Deep and Meaningful. And uh, we're going to go deep and meaningful in the book of Exodus and then in the book of Hebrews. I love the fact that this morning, We've worshipped the Lord. I love the fact that we, God has given us, in fact, gifted us with people who can write songs that can express our heart desire to the Lord. I think that's incredible. I love the fact that we're involved with Christians Against Poverty. I love the fact that we're part of a church which believes in helping the poorest of the poor that sees debt for what it is. It's an oppression and wants to help people lift themselves out of debt. But I love the fact that both of those things are deeply rooted in and founded on one essential and critical reality, and that's the proclamation of Jesus Christ. You see, if we're not worshiping Jesus and he's not the focal point, then we're simply not worshiping. If we're fighting for the freedom of people caught in debt and Jesus Christ is not the focal point of that and not the ultimate reason, then all we're doing is simply putting a Band-Aid on a fatal wound. You know, as we've often said in Christians Against Poverty, we're not interested in seeing debt-free people go to hell. Today we start this new series called Deep and Meaningful. And over the next eight weeks, we're going to be digging into the book of Exodus in the Old Testament to help us gain a deeper appreciation of the New Testament book of Hebrews. And that's going to bring us to a place of deep and meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ. Hence the really corny but wonderful title, Deep and Meaningful. You got it? Excellent. We're going to look at the Ten Commandments today. And we're going to look at the tabernacle next week in the Old Testament priesthood. And we're going to understand them. And as, as we do this, we need to go right back to the very beginning. We need to understand, to understand the Ten Commandments, we've first of all got to go back to Genesis to understand what we were created for. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, it says this, God created mankind in his own image. And the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, it's interesting in there, it says God blessed them. To be blessed means to receive from the Lord. The blessing of life, the blessing of relationships, the blessing of purpose, the blessing of identity, the blessing of meaning. It literally means God filled them with life. And humanity, you see, was created to be blessed by God. We were created to be filled with the life of God and to populate the planet, to work it, to take care of it on God's behalf and in relationship with God. But now, in order to have a relationship with someone, you must have the ability to choose. Otherwise, it's not a relationship. And God gave us the ability to choice, for choice so that we could relate to him, we could have a relationship with him. However, humanity chose not to build relationship with God. Instead, we preferred to put our primary relationship not with him, but with ourselves, with us. We took him off the throne of our life and we put ourselves on the throne of our life. And the problem of humanity 
And indeed, the problem of creation is found right here. It's a broken relationship with God who created us. However, the story doesn't end there. You see, God pursues us to restore us and to renew this broken relationship. And many years later, God spoke to Abraham and made a promise. He made a covenant with him. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, it's described in these words where God said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. God promised that through Abraham, God would restore the blessing, life to all nations. And God fulfilled this in Abraham by firstly giving Abraham a child, Isaac, and then another child, Jacob, came down the line, uh, next generation. And that, that person, that family, then moved to Egypt to escape a famine. And while they were there, over a period of 400 years, the family grew into a nation. But God's promise had not been forgotten. He promised that he would bless the nations through this one nation. And so a time of turmoil came, and it was the birth pains of this people who were about to be born as a nation. And in Exodus chapter 2, we find these words. During that long period, these 400 years, the king of Egypt died, the one who welcomed the family into Egypt. And the Israelites groaned out of their sl- in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant. He remembered his promise. He remembered what he had said he was going to do. And his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. And you know, if you've read the story of Exodus, second book in the Bible, you know that the nation was delivered from Egypt. Think 10 plagues, think Passover, think escape, think rescue, think freedom through the Red Sea. Now remember that they are a people who had been living in the Egyptian culture and the Egyptian way for 400 years. They know and have experienced more about the Egyptian way of living and serving their gods than they know about serving their one God, the one true God who created all people. And so God rescued them and led them into the wilderness where he was about to school them in becoming his people again. And here is where we pick up our deep and meaningful in Exodus chapter 19. Where it says this, on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. And they set out from Rephidim and they entered the desert of Sinai. And Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob. And what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. And how I carried you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. Then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine. 
You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Here's his covenant. Here's his promise. And the promises that God makes go like this. He promises and he asks his people to make commitments. And the commitments he asks of his people is to obey him, to fully keep his covenant. And as they do that, there are three things that are going to happen. There are three things which will be a result of this covenant relationship. Firstly, these people will be God's treasured possession. That is, their identity, they will be known as God's. They have a new identity. Not only are they a nation, they are God's own people. Not only will they be a treasured possession, they'll be a kingdom of priests. And what that meant to them is we are now an entirely new people and our role is to minister to the Lord and to minister to other nations. Our role is to declare the glory of God and to tell other nations about God. That's what the priesthood was. And they would also be a holy nation. And what God meant in that was this, that they would be the image bearers of God. They would display to all other nations the quality of God's character. People would look at this nation, they would go, ah, I get it. I understand the quality of God's character when I look at these people. That was the result of them fully obeying and keeping the covenant. Well, what are these commitments that the Lord asks the people that he has rescued to keep? Well, here we have in Exodus 19 and 20, the giving of the law, if you like the basic terms of the commitment that God asked them to keep. They describe how this nation is now to live in relation to God and to others. And they're outlined in Exodus, and there are three types of law. If you read Exodus 20, 21, 22, dot, 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 you'll find there are three types of law. There's the moral law, the Ten Commandments. And the funny thing is, by the way, that the Bible actually never calls them Ten Commandments, um, except for the heading, right? If you see in in chapter 20 where it says Ten Commandments, and that's an addition. Um, The word literally means, the Hebrew word literally means ten words. And these are the ten words that God gave the Israelites at Mount Sinai to follow, and they're still applicable today. They're the moral law. There was also the civil law that was given, the everyday laws that governed the lives of the people. And then there is the ceremonial law, which were the types and the symbols for the sacrificial system when they were working in the tabernacle with the priesthood, and we'll be covering those over the next few weeks. But we have the ten words, the moral law, the ones which they were to keep and would define what a follower of God looked like. What are they? Well, they can be split into two sections, and the first section is to love the Lord. And the the commandments, you can read them in Exodus chapter 20. I encourage you to do so. The first one is follow, have no other God except him. Second one was worship. Don't worship any image of God. Worship only God alone. Honor him. Don't defame the Lord's name by what you say or by what you do. Honor him. And trust him. Put him first in everything. Put him first in your time. Put him first in your finances. Honor the Sabbath, right? In other words, carve out and say, I trust you before I trust anything else and anyone else. Trust him. Love the Lord, your God. The the first four commandments. The next six commandments were about loving your neighbor. 
And the first one of those was, as you love your neighbour, you want to respect authority and the commanders on your parents, honour those who've gone before you, honour those who are ahead of you. The second one was life. Don't murder life. Don't take another's life. Respect the dignity of life, the life of the unborn and the life of the soon to depart. Respect life. It is precious. Thirdly, purity. Don't commit adultery. Right, in other words, keep the marriage bed pure. Keep sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. Any other form is adultery and you're stealing from someone else's purity. You're taking someone else's purity. The next one was property. Don't steal. Don't take another one's property. Right, don't look and, and why, whatever means you can, sometimes we can even make it legal these days where you can steal someone else's property and someone else's livelihood. And then don't lie and falsely accuse. Don't steal someone else's reputation. As you love the, as you love the Lord, you follow, you worship, you honor, you trust. As you love your neighbor, you make sure you, you prefer their authority, their life, their purity, their property, and their reputation. You're saying things which are destroying people's reputation. And lastly, don't covet what's not yours. Be content. Be content. Don't desire what you don't have. Find contentment in him and him alone. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, Jesus summed these up, didn't he? When it came to the New Testament. So here's the question. Why do we have these laws in our Bibles today? If this is Old Testament, if this is all that, why do we need them? Jesus summed them up. Are these important? Well, firstly, they actually show us who God is. You see, the law is an expression of the lawgiver's heart and his character. And the commandments not only show us what God wants, they show us what God is like. They say something about his honor, about his worth about his majesty, about the preference he puts on others, on purity, on reputation. They express the way that he wants to live, the way that he does live and he wants us to live. They show us who God is. They tell us what matters to him. You see, if you go and sleep around, that matters to God. If you steal, that matters to God. If you make an image and bow down to it, whatever that might be. That matters to God. They show us who God is. Secondly, they empower us to live out our salvation. You know, some would view Christianity as this. God has rules. And if I follow those rules, then God will love me and God will save me. Well, that's not what happened in the story of Exodus. And it's not what happens with us. You see, the Israelites were an oppressed people. And God said to them, I hear your cry. I will save you, not because of what you've done or the potential of what you can do. I will save you simply because I promised and because I love you. I will save you because I am true to my promise, says God. And when they were saved when they were free and when they were forgiven, they were given a new way, a blessed way to live. Hence the Ten Commandments. They're not the way that you get saved, they're the way that you live out your salvation. The Ten Commandments are not a reward for obeying God, they're, they're the reason for obeying God. 
right? And we, if we think we've got that list, and if I do that, I'll be more acceptable to God, you've missed the whole point. The fact of them, they're there, they're there because they say, here's how you now live out what you already are. You know, the third reason that we have the Ten Commandments is that they define our freedom. We too often think of the Ten Commandments as constraining us, as if God will, will keep us bound up and unable to realize our dreams and to reach our potential. We can forget that God means to give us abundant life and real freedom. In fact, faithfulness to the law defines the boundaries within which God's people will experience the blessings of the covenant. Think of it this way. Sarah and I are married. We stood before family and friends 30, just over 30 years ago. And we made a commitment, we made a covenant together. And we promised to each other that we would be faithful to each other. Now, over those 30 years, we have been faithful. And because of that, there is a blessing of life, of joy, of intimacy, of freedom. And this is promised and this is maintained. And this is an incredible joy that we have in our marriage. And it is, it's spectacular. All glory to Sarah. <laughs> if I had decided to be unfaithful... We would have, I would have broken the trust. There would be deceit. There would be hurt. There would be scars. Are you faithful to God? It's not a, you're going to miss out. It's a definition of joy, of intimacy, of freedom, of life. A blessing. It's exactly the same in a marriage as it is in our walk with Jesus Christ. The Ten Commandments are not there to simply say, man, you're going to miss out on a whole bunch of stuff. They're there to say, you're going to find life. Remember the promise of God. He blessed you. He wants you to live that life of blessing. Obedience equals blessing. Disobedience equals loss of blessing. Moses described it in Deuteronomy chapter 5 where it says, be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or the left. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land you will possess. The Ten Commandments aren't instructions on how to get out of Egypt. They're rules. They define how a free people can stay free and live free. And lastly... The Ten Commandments set us apart to be a blessing to the world. Here's the thing. Jesus Christ calls us to follow him. And he will make us fishers of people. That idea of fishing is deeply theological. It means to take fish from the realm of the sea to the realm of the air. For the fish, that's fatal. Jesus Christ calls us to fish for people. That is to help people be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's transformational. That's what we're called to do. We are called as followers of Jesus to, to exhibit and to display 
the wonder and the glory of God. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, there is a verse which sounds very familiar to the people who read the Old Testament where, where Peter said this, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Just like the nation of Israel, we as followers of Christ are known as being God's treasured possession. That is, we have a new identity. We are not simply Nick and Sarah. We are not simply Peter and Adrian. We are children of the Most High God. We're not simply Kiwis. We are citizens of heaven. We're not people who don't have any identity. We have an identity. It's known as a precious child of God, a daughter, a son of God. We're God's treasured possession. We are a kingdom of priests. You and I are priests. You may not have known it, but you are a priest. Can I let you know right now, you are a priest. You do not need a white little thing around your neck to be defined as a priest. You simply need to be someone who surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. And you're a priest. You're a kingdom of priests who will do what? Who will minister to the Lord, who will worship him with everything we have, and who will then serve the nations. How do we serve the nations? We go fish. We go help people become total followers of Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's the invitation into the life of blessing, the full life that God has given us. And so we are also a holy nation. We are the image bearers of God. And we will display to the nations. We will display to our workmates. We will display to our family. We will display to our friends. We will display to our colleagues what the quality of God's character looks like. The purpose of the Ten Commandments, the ten words for us as followers of Jesus, is that we will live and display the blessed life, the full life, the life, and we will proclaim it through our works and through our words to a world that God is restoring to himself through you and through me. You know, obeying these words, these ten words, doesn't save us, but it empowers us and defines the way that we can live in a way that displays Jesus Christ, to bring blessing, to bring life to the nations, to bring revival to people. And you see, it starts with receiving salvation through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And in a moment, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross by taking bread and taking juice. And we're going to do this and we're going to remember his finished work. And as you take that, remind your soul that you don't have to do anything to earn your salvation. He's paid it in full. But as you take it, remember, you're a, you're a priest You're a holy nation. You're a set-apart people. You're, You're a treasured possession. And as you live out the 10 words, as you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, you are displaying to a world that does not know the blessing of relationship with him what that blessed life looks like. And so... Let's be that blessing. Let's be those people to bring revival to our land that we would see more Emmas, that we would see more people like you 
come to know him and come to celebrate him and come to worship him. The team, souvenirs are going to minister and lead us. As they do that, would you please stand with me? I'm going to pray. And then communion is around the room. Go take it. Take it and remember him. Celebrate all that he has done for you. And let's then commit ourselves to be those people who would display the blessing of God to a world that needs it. Father, I pray that you would secure in our hearts the reality of who we are. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a treasured possession. A people whose life is defined by love for you and love for our neighbor. A people who would walk in the freedom we have. The invitation to walk in a way that gives us joy and freedom and blessing. So that we can be a blessing. Father, we ask these things and ask that your Holy Spirit would give us the power we need to live them out. And as we take this bread and this juice now, remind us of these things in Jesus' name.